Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio. Um, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, Thanks to Ruminations crew for another great show. Highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be talking about alcoholism and the family disease. I'd like to welcome Dana, uh, who's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Hi, Dana. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. And Di, who's a member of Alanon Family Groups. Hello, Bill. Thank you, too. Uh, they're going to share their experience of living with alcoholism and how AA and Alanon has helped them. Uh, now, this is an unusual show because we don't usually have members of different fellowships on together. So this is sort of part of our extended summer summer series of uh, of a little bit different. So um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy the enjoy the show. Uh, now usually we start talking about um, what it was like before, what happened, and what it's like now. Sort of the traditional um, recovery format. Um, and so I'll start with you, Dana. Um, so usually we we talk about what it was like growing up and when when you first realised you were a little bit different. And when you're, particularly with an alcoholic, when your drinking was a little bit different to other people's. So how, how did, what was your family life like and how did your alcoholism start? Okay, um, my family life was pretty normal. I grew up in a very loving family, mum, dad, brother and sister. Um, but I was also um, ridiculously shy. You know, when I was growing up, I was full of anxiety and, and very, very shy. Then when I was about 15, um, I had work experience and ended up with a full-time job and that's when my drinking started. And, you know, I just remember when I first started drinking that it brought me up to the level that I thought I always should have been at. Um, yeah, I, I could talk to people, I could do things. Um, I didn't realise when I first started um, that when I drank... I tended to keep drinking until, you know, I pretty much passed out. But I just thought everybody drank like that. Um, I joined my first band when I was 17 and then played in the music industry and, you know, everybody sort of drank back then. So to me it wasn't anything out of the ordinary until I sort of started to get a little bit older and realised that every single time I drank... I seem to have the taste for it. And I would say that, gee, I've really got the taste for it tonight. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it was pretty much every single time I drank. I didn't notice that my drinking was different until I was about 29. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like I said, you know, I was in the music industry and um, everybody drank, everybody drugged, everybody, you know, it was just sort of the way it is. And, you know, I see now a lot of musicians... Um, from around that time, are actually all in recovery. So, yeah. you know, it was, yeah, pretty big back then. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. Um, so what what caused you to, I guess, start thinking that your drinking was different? What sort of things were happening? Okay, well, like I said, when I was 29, I fell pregnant and sort of got out of the music industry, but I was still drinking um, and... You know, it was it was pretty much um, 
all I would I, I started thinking about it. I started taking over you know my thoughts and you know I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be or you know thinking about a drink um, if something was coming up in a day or two I'd be thinking how can I have get some alcohol beforehand you know and that sort of started to progress to it got to the stage where um, I started to not be able to do things without having a drink and then I discovered that because the hangovers were so bad, if I had a drink in the morning, it would get rid of the hangover, but not realising at the time that when I picked up a drink, I couldn't stop drinking. Yeah. You know, there were so many times I would say to myself, I'm only going to have a couple, and I would mean it. But as soon as I put that drink to my lips, I couldn't stop drinking. And I started to realise that this wasn't right. There was something wrong. I thought there was actually something wrong with me. I never thought I was an alcoholic. I yeah. just thought there was something, you know, wrong with me. Um, so that's when I started to you know, see psychologists, psychiatrists, thinking maybe there's something in my background. There was nothing. I saw counsellors. I saw a guy that actually taught controlled drinking, um, but none of it worked. As soon as I put that drink to my lips, I couldn't stop and I would end up in blackout or pass out mm. and then it would start the next day again. People were getting on my back. You know, my family were starting to see what it was doing um, and that's when I started to hide it. So right. yeah. the vodka in the water bottle and, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> so what sort of family uh, did you have, uh, you know, as far as mum, dad and, and brothers and sisters? Was it a big family? or um, Just mum, dad and I have, have a younger brother and sister. Um, you know, my dad was a very, very loving father. Um, he was very encouraging. He was one of these people that, you know, um, I could do anything I wanted to do. I could be anything I wanted to be. You know, he, we had a very, very close relationship. He was very, very supportive. But he could also see, you know, there was something wrong with my drinking. There was something that wasn't quite right. Um, and I knew it was breaking his heart, you know, but... <sighs> All I could do was drink more so that I wouldn't feel wouldn't. what I was doing to him, yep. you know. Um, so, yeah, my dad my dad was very um, a very loving father and, you know, my mum was a great mother, you know. So it was just a very normal family. There's alcoholism in the background um, further back but not in my immediate family. Right, okay. Um, Di, yes, you Bill. a question. Um, so you're... You're in Aleron, but um, did you? Ha- was it your parent who was an alcoholic? Yes. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, my father became an alcoholic later in life, but um, both of my parents had been um, a- affected by this family disease, and they had uh, learned patterns of behaviour and attitudes and thinking that. Um, uh, spilled over into their personal lives and the way they parented their children. And um, so even though there wasn't a lot of drinking going on in my um, family of birth, um, we were all affected uh, by this family disease from previous generations. Yeah, so how, how did that play out in your family? Um My father was uh, very uh, quiet and um, and, uh, he would always try to keep the peace. My mother was um, unpredictable. Um, She had a very volatile temper 
and um, we never knew when she was going to uh, be or what would set her off. But there was um, there was a, a lot of um, conflict in the family growing up, and uh, I was and still am the eldest, and uh, felt uh, very much. Um, an overdeveloped sense of responsibility to also keep the peace and to look after the other children and um, to be a good girl, um, take control of everything and everyone and um, uh, not cause any problems in the family because if there were problems, um, my mother reacted to everything. And that's how I believe the family disease played out in my family. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's 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 not so much the the genes; it's the behaviour. Yes, I think the learned behaviour. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess in my family too, I came. My dad was an alcoholic, and he he wasn't he was the problem initially, but once when I got into Al-Anon, and I was able to acknowledge that he was an alcoholic and he was just doing what alcoholics do, um, then I had a, as much problem with my mother trying to accept my mother because she didn't drink, but she mm. made the situation a lot worse a lot of the times. Yes. And that, you know, that, that, was, that was the problem in the end, was mum's behaviour. She was propping the alcoholic up, keeping him drinking basically, and it was, yeah, so it was quite a conflict having to accept both your parents, one who was an alcoholic, one who wasn't an alcoholic but wouldn't do anything about their behaviour and neither of them sought help. So, yeah, it is um, it is a difficult situation like that. So, um, Dana, um, you, we, when we're off air, we're, we're talking about, you know, at, at family functions when you're in your early drinking that there wasn't enough alcohol at home. So what's that like to be an alcoholic and be at a function and not have enough? Uh, yeah, no, it's not very nice. Um, yeah, I remember, um, like, for example, Christmas Day. You know, it would be mum, dad, me, my brother and sister, and um, my sister would bring one bottle of wine and she would fill half the glass with soda water. And I'd always make sure, no, no, no soda water in mine. Um, and we'd probably get two glasses each, you know, and my dad actually later on said to me, you know, I remember those times at Christmas Day and you couldn't wait to get out of the house because I know you just wanted to get to the bottle shop and that's pretty much what it was like. You know, I remember my, a friend of mine's 30th birthday. By this stage, my friends all knew what my drinking was like and I was only allowed to go if I had two drinks. That's all I was allowed to have. So on the way, we went through the bottle shop. I got my two stubbies. I had them at the party and I had to get out of there because I had to go home and keep drinking, you know. Um, it's just there is nothing worse than having a drink and not being able to continue, you know, to, to, be, to be stopped mid-drinking um, is absolute hell. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. So can you explain the allergy, the al- allergy of alcohol? The allergy of alcoholism. Well, there's a few different... Um, One will do. Yeah, a few different things. Basically what it is is that we have something in our brain that's different to everybody else. So what it means is that, you know, when we, when we um, pick up a drink, it makes something in our brain do something. 
um, makes uh, – I'm, I'm not too sure of the scientific yeah, side of it. Yeah. But all I know is that, you know, what the allergy does is um, once we have a drink, it kicks off this, you know, this allergy and we have to keep drinking, you know. Um, that's I, – I, I don't know if I've explained that very well, but that's pretty much what it is, you know. So And it's coupled with this mental obsession – which means that um, if we're not drinking, we're thinking about it. Yep. You know, if we've got something coming up, we're working out how we can get the alcohol. You know, it's always, it's constantly there. It's yep. always there. And, yeah, you know, you're driving past a bottle shop and, and the, the, the neon signs out the front, it's just, um, yeah, if we're not drinking, we're thinking about it. So, mm. yeah. So the obsession leads to the drinking and the allergy continues the drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, it's it, it's helpful to understand that because alcoholism is, is unusual in that the person who suffers from the allergy denies they have the problem, whereas everybody else, you know, if it's a peanut allergy, everybody's waving their arms and running for miles. With the alcoholic, they just stay quiet and just keep on drinking. Yeah. So it's it's a really unusual <laughs> allergy in that sense. Um, so Di, um, your your dad started drinking more. Um, yes. And so what happened in your life? Um, well, my father died five years after he started drinking alcoholically and I was in my middle 20s. Um, I had uh, left home and um, went off to study um, uh, to prepare myself for a career and I was doing very well in that. And, um, and that was where I met my husband um, or my husband to be, and uh, uh, from the family I grew up in, I was set up to um, meet and marry a person who would become an alcoholic. Um, I was um, I was very good at my job. Um, I was very competent, and um, I knew what I was doing. But um, in life. I didn't understand how I was feeling, what I was thinking. Um, I didn't understand about my emotions especially um, and what I was feeling and I became um, quite uh, well, very anxious and, um, uh, and I had to be treated for depression. Um, it was interesting what you said before about your mother because... Um, in Al-Anon, I learned that um, very often it's the non-drinker who draws attention to themselves because of their behaviour. And um, that is uh, exactly what happened with my mother. Um, she was the one who um, was volatile in her actions and her behaviour and, um, uh, and uh, becoming exceedingly angry um, over something very small and um, so we were uh, always very careful about where we invited her um, and um, uh, and I, I grew up really not trusting her that um, she, she would um, remain well behaved because um, that's the family disease of uh, alcoholism uh, in that um, there is a lot of uh, pain and conflict and and anger and family controversy 
and it was just a toing and froing of um, having contact with her and then then not talking to her and those extremes of um, trying to manage and not knowing what to do. So I thought when I got married that I had escaped all of that, but um, but I hadn't. Um, I married my mother and uh, he was very controlling and angry and um and critical and um but to me that was normal but I couldn't escape from him really um so um uh we we um continued in our married life and um, did uh, some geographicals. We didn't have children at that stage because um, I was too afraid that um, I would uh, turn into my mother with having children. So um, we went for quite a few years until I heard that biological clock ticking and um, decided that um, now was the time. So, um, but uh, during that time, uh, I was very sad and uh, lonely and isolated and didn't have many friends and um, um, didn't understand why I was feeling the way I was. Um, But it was uh, during that time that um, a friend and colleague told me that uh, she thought her husband was an alcoholic and... um, would I help her to find Al-Anon? So being a, 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 a good girl, I, um, I helped her with that. But um, that, was, that was the pebble in the pond that stayed with me for that uh, five years until um, the time came when um, I was ready to accept that um, or understand that... Um, um, my husband had a drinking problem and that uh, I needed Al-Anon too. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on your digital radio. Uh, we've now got 22 episodes of Living Free available on podcasts on the Living Free webpage, uh, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and they're also available on itunes there's also also plenty of great podcasts of other 3cr shows um, available on podcasts and on the 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts if you have a question or comment about the show then you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3 free at gmail.com um, i'm talking to Dana and Di, um, and they're from Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon Family Groups, respectively. And we're talking about recovery through these those two programs. Um, so, Dana, I think you, we ended up before where you had become pregnant at your late late twenties, and um, you started life started to change for you. So, what was it like? You know being pregnant having a having a baby and drinking what was how complicated is that Uh, yeah um yeah so I fell pregnant when I was 29 and gave up the music um and still kept drinking 
um, you know, I managed to, I don't know how I did it, but I managed to still be able to, um, you know, be a mother. During the day, I pretty much kept it, somehow kept it on a pretty even keel. Um, So during the day, it was just basically sipping the drink and it sort of kept me, you know, pretty even during the day. Once my son was in bed, that's when I just, you know, let myself drink. Um, You know, obviously it it was pretty tough um, being a single mother and and looking after a baby, Uh, but I I still managed to do it. You know, I can say that, you know, my son was always fed, he was always bathed, you know, um, as he got a little bit older, you know, I would read to him before he went to bed and that kind of thing. Once he started school, where I was living at the time, we just had to walk through the laneway and we are at the school, um, so I didn't have to drive or anything. Um, so yeah, that, that was sort of, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Although, you know, looking back, there were times when, you know, I'd put him in the car and I'd, I'd drive somewhere, um, and I'd be well over 0.05, you know, things like that. Um, also to that occasionally there might be a time when he, these are the things that would break my heart. He would say to me, mummy, um, we're not going to have a night like last night or we're not going to have one of those nights, are they? Are we? And that would be probably a time when I would have, you know, maybe passed out or something. Um, my son was very, from the minute he could walk, um, he was very good at, you know, he could put uh, videos on yeah. and keep... Yes. He, he pretty much kept himself entertained. Yeah. Um, I will say that the Wiggles back then were, you know, the best thing around. They were the best babysitters ever. Um you know, he would spend hours and hours in front of the television. A lot of it is, you know, I have a lot sort of that I can't remember. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it kills me to think that I was drinking while I was bringing up this child, but um, I was an alcoholic, yeah. you know. So, yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, and blacking out, you know, it certainly doesn't help with your memory or your responsibility levels. Um, but I guess that one of the things we were talking about earlier was when you realised you had a real problem. I think it was at your brother's place. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, there was one night when my brother asked me to come over to sit with his wife and newborn baby so he could go to the football. Um, he said if I came over we could have a bottle of wine. So I got there and he went to the football and I went straight down the pub to get some more wine because I knew one bottle wasn't going to be enough. I also had my water bottle full of vodka. I remember that night putting the drink to my lips and then being woken by my brother the next day with those words that I absolutely hated. You know, do you know what you did last night? I'd been in a blackout. There was things smashed. There was, you know, broken doors, that kind of stuff. And that's when it was like... I really, really, really have to do something. You know, that that was when it all come to a head. I'd tried things, like I said, psychologist, psychiatrist, but that's when it had all come to a head. And I needed to get everybody off my back, you know. Um, my family was, you know, riding it now. Um, my mum would call me, you know, same time every night. So I decided the only thing left to do was calling Alcoholics Anonymous I didn't know anything about it, but I made that phone call. So that's what I did. So what was what was your first meeting like? 
Okay, I don't remember a lot about it. I do remember the lady on the phone telling me um, if I can try not to have a drink before I went. Um, I don't know how I did that. I didn't have a drink that day. I got myself to the meeting. I only remember one man that shared that night and he spoke about me. It was like this massive relief. All this time I thought there was something wrong with me and he was talking about the blackouts and the broken promises and putting that drink to your lips and not being able to stop and, you know, everything, the way I felt and, you know, the shame, the guilt, the remorse, everything. And, um, yeah, it was like this massive relief. Um, I know what's wrong with me. That's what it is. I'm an alcoholic. I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I didn't want to go to AA. I didn't want to stop drinking. Um, But I knew that I had to. So I basically did it for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> All the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons, yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. Um, Di, so I think we left you where you'd been, you'd helped your friend go to Al-Anon. Yes. And then you got pregnant yourself. Yes. <laughs> so how did life change in the family with a new baby? Um, uh, well... I could see what the drinking was doing to my husband, but um, I didn't understand uh, what it was doing to me. Um, And um, so when I realised that um, uh, his drinking was a problem to me um, because it was causing him a big problem, um, I I called AA looking for... Uh, an Al-Anon meeting because I'd heard a program on the radio, uh, surprisingly, about um, about alcoholism and uh, how it can affect the family. So um, that's when the penny dropped for me. And um, so uh, I was living in a regional area in Victoria and um, I was um, uh, given the details of the meeting and along I went. But um, uh, I I was very unhappy that um, uh, that I needed to go somewhere and do something to uh, help me. Um, I certainly didn't want it. Um, I was really angry that the problem um, I had identified in the family was um, was alcoholism. Um, I certainly didn't want it. But um, the minute I walked into that first meeting where um, the the um, members were so um, welcoming and loving and understanding, um, I knew that even if I didn't want it, this is what I needed because um, um, my husband had a problem with drinking but also I was terrified that I was going to uh, turn into my mother and I... Uh, and with a new baby, I didn't want that. So um, I clung on to uh, that um, the meetings and the members and got there even when I didn't want to. Um, and um, that was that was part of needing to surrender to the reality of um, what was happening in my life. And... Um, um, because I was an adult child, I thought I knew better. Um, but um, I, I stuck around and um, 
I've I have uh, Al-Anon Family Groups is a program for living. Uh, it's a it's a program for um, people who uh, are dealing with that um, family disease of alcoholism. And for every drinker, um, it has um, been shown that there are at least four people around them who are affected. And for me, um, that was um, me and my siblings, and um, and it was also going to be my children. So um, my, I subsequently had another child and our children went to Alateen, which is a program for uh, teenagers uh, living with the uh, family disease of alcoholism and um, uh, that helped them as it helped me to learn about the disease and learn that there was another way of living. Thank you. Um, Dana, um, so you got into AA, but it was hard work. Yeah. Um, Look, like I said before, I came to AA to get everybody off my back. Um, I didn't stop drinking from the very first meeting. It took me a couple of weeks and then it was like a couple of days had gone by and I hadn't had a drink And for me, that was an absolute miracle. You know, I couldn't do a minute without a drink. So a couple of days had gone by and then before I knew it, those days turned into weeks and so on. Um, Just purely by going to AA meetings, I started to get to know people. I surrounded myself with AA members. We'd do coffee, we'd go to the movies. I pretty much wrapped myself with AA members and Alcoholics Anonymous um, and so that's what I was doing, just going to meetings and um, hanging out with people. So I started getting months up and then I started getting years up without having a drink. But then? But then I got to the sixth year. Um, we have a program in AA, which is the 12 steps, and, you know, there's a reason why that's there. Um, it basically helps us to clean out you know, the past and and to be able to move forward and to be able to live our lives and gives us the tools to be able to live, live our lives without having to pick up a drink. Um, now, because I wasn't drinking, I didn't think I needed to do that. So it got to the sixth year and things started to happen in my life. Um, I lost my job and, um, you know, just sort of little things were happening. And then my dad, who I've said, you know, is my best friend, he fell down the stairs and... He um, unfortunately passed away. Um, I had no tools to be able to cope. So inevitably I ended up with a drink in my hand. After six years of not drinking and then picking up a drink, um, this pro- the progression of this disease is something that I experienced. When I first came into AA, I still had a roof over my head, you know. Um, I still pretty much had everything materialistically, i just lost myself. When I picked up a drink after six years, I lost everything. Within a week, everything was gone. I'd had a new job. My job was gone. My son, who was about 10 or 11, was out on the streets. I didn't know where he was. I had police coming into my life, hospitalisations, DHS. Everything was happening. I had other AA members trying to get me back to AA. 
Um, and I could not stop drinking. It was so much worse than what it was when I originally put that drink down. So um, I had an old-timer from AA that wouldn't give up on me and he got me into a rehab, which was an Aboriginal women's rehab in St Kilda. Um, that was for four months and that's what I needed. You know, I had to be wrapped up in cotton wool um, because by this stage, as well as the drinking, I was taking whatever I could get my hands on. So I ended up in that rehab for four months and, and became... Um, you know, got evicted from where I'd been living, so would have been homeless when I came out of the rehab. But because I had a child, you know, they organised housing and stuff for us and, um, you know, got back into AA and still, um, you know, did did some of the things this time. I thought I'd do better do a little bit more. Um, and, yeah, I'll let the same thing happen again. <laughs> right. So, but, you know, the whole thing is um, I still hadn't, you know, I hadn't accepted step one, you know, which is it, it basically that we're powerless. You know, I hadn't accepted that and I was still doing this for everybody else, you know. I still hadn't come to that place where I was doing this for me, making that decision. So um, I got another five years up and, and ended up picking up and, and then struggled for the next couple of years after that. Um, okay. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking to Dana and Di about alcoholism and how the programs of Alcoholics Anonymous and Eleanor and Family Groups can help. Um, so Di, starting with you this time, um, so you, you've come into Al-Anon. Um, yes. what's, what's it What's it like coming from a controlling family? And being told you're powerless. Oh, that was really was um, what I struggled with for a long, long time. And um, uh, after realising that my husband um, had a drinking problem, um, it took me another ten years of um, going to meetings regularly, and that was more than one meeting a week. I needed that. Um, because it had take me, taken me a lifetime to uh, get to the way I was with um, with my pattern of living and thinking, um, and it wasn't going to happen overnight. Uh, any changes, so um, uh, it really was um, uh, the the fact that I was willing to learn about the disease of alcoholism. Um, learn as much as I could, um, learn uh, about the program and using all, all of the tools, um, daily reading, um, the slogans, uh, keeping in touch with members um, and uh, helping out with, um, uh, with the, the business side of things which um, keeps the wheels turning of um, this um, uh, family program and um, so um, after 10 years and um, thinking that I still had power over my husband um, he finally went off to um, rehab uh, came home and was sober for four months and we had a wonderful four months but then he went back to drinking again and um, as Dana has, had mentioned he he did um, what he did 
to um, uh, for the wrong reasons. He did it for me and the family, and not for him. And um, so uh, that's when I accepted that I was powerless, and I surrendered to the reality of um, of the power of this disease. It's uh, cunning, powerful, and baffling. And um, um, so that's when I had to leave for uh, the mental health of myself and our children. And um, But uh, I had brought my children up to um, love and respect their father even though they didn't like his behaviour and that's what they learned in Alateen when they were old enough to go. And um, we maintained a very good working relationship because um, uh, it was only through my change of attitude um, to him and uh, my willingness to work with him um, uh, that um, we were able to uh, parent our children um, in the best way we could. And um, uh, for the most part, that worked really well. Um, sadly he kept on drinking and um, uh, he he actually remarried and um, uh, his second wife uh, died from this disease about 10 years later and um, he succumbed to uh, the disease of alcoholism as well and that was very sad for everyone it's actually his third anniversary today and um uh, so it's very poignant for me to be talking about him today um uh, and um my children um love and miss him uh, still today even though his behavior and his drinking was out of control they were able to separate the person from the disease and he would always be their father. And uh, I supported that, them with that mm. as well. Okay. Um, Dana, um, so you're back into AA but you still haven't got the enthusiasm but you know it's killing you, so what do you do next? Yeah, okay, so I struggled for a couple of years and... Um picking up every couple of months and every time I picked up something would happen you know I'm um I was brought up really well um basically you know when I was younger I was a good girl you know um every time I drank would end up in court cases so I got to a stage just over 12 months ago where I pretty much come to a point where I had to make a decision. I knew that if I kept doing what I was doing, I was not going to last very much longer. Did I want to die or did I want to live? So I made the decision that, you know, I wanted to live and I threw myself back into AA. The difference this time is that I was doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for anybody else. Um, This time I was doing it because I wanted to live And I'd been around the program long enough to know what to do. So what I did was um, I got myself a a really good sponsor, somebody that, you know, I looked at and I wanted, you know, the sobriety that she had. Um, I started working through the 12 steps. I joined an AA group um, that was very strong in recovery and threw myself into AA and pretty much did everything that I didn't do before. Um... 
that was just over 12 months ago and, you know, my recovery this time is so much different to what it has been over the past, you know, 13 years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. The day that I made the decision, I'd been struggling to find work, you know, nothing was really going well in my life. The day I made that decision and I came back into AA and, and took it seriously, the next day I went to get the air conditioning fixed in my car and um, and I was offered a job. Um, a couple of months later, I found myself in a position where I um, could go back to school. So I've gone back to school. I'm halfway through doing um, a course at the moment in in drugs and alcohol so that I can work in that field. Um, you know, I... The things that have happened since, you know, I've, I've come back into AA has been absolutely amazing. Um, my life's just been getting better and better. My relationship with my son is absolutely fantastic. My relationship with my mum and my brother and sister um, is really good. And, you know, I've, I've made some real friends and my life has just changed, you know, um, completely changed. So that's where I am now. It sounds yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, so, Di, what's it like now that you're free? Uh, thanks, Bill. Um, well, uh, two years ago, um, my mother passed away uh, and uh, I moved to Melbourne from, uh, from a regional area in Victoria um, because my children had left that area and I knew they would never return. And uh, I wanted to be closer to um, one of them who has a four-year-old daughter. So um, I made, took that big step to move to Melbourne and um, uh, I haven't looked back. Uh, I still miss where I came from because uh, I had lived there for nearly 30 years, so it was a big step. Um, but it was up to me and my attitude to um, make it work. And right from day one, uh, Melbourne has been home. And um, I just love being five minutes away uh, from uh, them and um, being able to help even just with little things like yesterday. Can you please put out my bins, Mum? I forgot. (laughs) So it's just really wonderful to be able to do that. Um, I have gone to university uh, for the first time in my life and uh, I'm about to um, graduate next month and um, so that is such a thrill for me um, to um, know that as a mature age person I still have that grey matter there that uh, I can achieve a a tertiary degree and um, uh, I... I have, um, uh, through the program, I uh, have uh, the best friends, the best life uh, and the best attitude to life that I could ever have. Um, The uh, love and support and acceptance that I've found in this program, um, uh, you just can't buy that. And um, uh, just to, to know where to go when I'm having a down day because being in Al-Anon family groups doesn't mean that I'm going to have a bed of roses. I, I still do have problems with life. and um, uh, But um, knowing how to deal with them in a mature uh, way uh, and 
is is just a gift and that's what's happened with me I've actually grown up and matured in the program because I was just such a frightened lonely child all my adult life until I got into the program right. I'm very grateful for that thank you <laughs> thank you uh, um, so Dana what what would you say to the alcoholic who's still drinking who's heard your story you know what what is it about um, recovery that that makes it so different Okay, look, when I first um, came into AA and realised that this is abstinence and that I'm, you know, it's going to be for the rest of my life, you know, like everybody else, the thoughts were, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? I can't do this. You know, for the rest of my life, I'm not going to be able to do anything. How am I going to live? What AA gives you, you know, um, is that, look, I love AA. I absolutely love it. It has saved my life and it has saved so many people's lives. And... You know, I never thought that I would be able to do life without alcohol. So what AA has done for me is that it's taught me how to live life without alcohol. You know, it's taught me to be able to clean up my past, to be able to, you know, um, fix, you know, relationships and things. But it's the best thing about AA, I think, is the fact that we do it one day at a time. Yeah. You know, we don't have yeah. to look at the future and go, oh, my God, I can't drink for the rest of my life. It's just for today. And, you know, doing it like that, it just, as time goes on, you know, things just get better and better. And, um, yeah, look, I can't say enough about this program. Um, It's just, it's an absolutely beautiful program and, you know, the people are so supportive and um, I'm actually having a really good time in my life. I'm doing things, I'm going out, you know, I'm I'm back, you know, seeing music. I've got a concert next um, Tuesday, I've got one tomorrow, you know. I'm getting out and I'm doing life, which I never thought I'd be able to do, and I'm doing it all with a clear head, and it's just amazing. So, yeah. (laughs) It sounds good, yeah. Okay, well, that's about all we've got time for today. So uh, I'd like to thank Dana for sharing her Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank Thank you you for having me. And Di for sharing her Al-Anon Family Group recovery experience. Thank you very much, Bill and Dana. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll return to our normally weekly schedule and we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism, and we'll be joined by some members of Alaron family groups. Unfortunately, Black Noise Radio won't be on today, as Kerry Lee will be attending Giller's funeral, but we'll be playing some music instead, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Living Free Program today. 